mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 12 as we go through this evangelist's history of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you'll remember with me, we're really in the last week of Jesus' earthly ministry. Um, He will go to the cross and uh, be put in the grave for three days and then uh, resurrect after three days and be 40 days with his disciples, teaching of them of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. But we're in the last week. And, and the reason it's so important for us to see this is because it parallels the Passover festival. Christ is actually fulfilling it. So what we have is he comes into the city on the tenth of Nisan, just like they would pick the Lamb of God on the tenth of Nisan. It's their first month, the month of Abib, the month of Nisan. And then it would be followed by what we call in New Testament time a week of questioning, a week of inspection, a week of examining the Lamb. And that's what the part we're into. The children of Israel, of course, they would pick the lamb on the tent and then they would have it in their house like a like a pet and they would be inspecting it. They would be checking it out. They would get a relationship with it. And then they'd know it. uh, 14th in the psalm at twilight, they had to kill it. And then they had a relationship with something and they knew that its blood was going to pour out on the altar to pay for their sins. And so now we have the living Lamb of God, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, Jesus Christ. He comes in and they cry, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save now. And we're going to go there, I think, today, and you'll see that. And I do have a few places to go, Um, but... They are questioning Christ. And they can't understand really the smallest of spiritual things. Think about it. Everything that he talks to them about, everything that he's doing is outlined clearly by the prophets. It's in the Old Testament. It's written down. The times in the season are clearly presented to them. And here comes the Messiah, and he comes to his own, and his own did not receive him. They should have been able to see the Messiah. They should have been able to see the signs of the time. And they were spiritually dead because they had turned from God and began to create their own system. And we have a parallelism of that today, where the church, not just in America, the church in the world has done the same thing. If Jesus came today, would we even recognize him? There's so many divisions and so many isms and so many false cults. The devil has done a great job of confusing and dividing and separating. And all we have to do is read our Bible. All we have to do is draw near to God and he'll draw near to us. All we have to do is submit to God and resist the devil. And God will clearly speak to us, but we've essentially walked away from the clear history, the clear written word, the clear uh, uh, proof of who He is and what He's called us to do, to be witnesses and save souls. So if He came today, listen, it's the same thing as Adam and Eve. Many say, well, why do I have to be born with a sin nature? Because Adam passed on his nature to me. I, I, I didn't sin. You would have. The Bible's written as examples. We look back at the nation of Israel. They had everything we're going to see. 
And they end up walking away, becoming apostate, forgetting who God was and then not being able to recognize Him. And we go, wouldn't happen to us. Look what we're doing. We read the Bible and we go, man, I wouldn't have said that. Yes, you would have. It's the sin nature. It's flesh. It's the, it's the three enemies of the world, the flesh, and Satan that attacks. And we get caught up and we spend more time in the weeds than bearing fruit that's Christ-like because of the Spirit of God. It's going to be important as we get into our gardens and our vineyards. So we come to chapter 12. Jesus has just told them, since they couldn't tell Him where John the Baptist was from. Remember that? Clear, clear messenger from God. And instead of them making a decision, they said, nope, we're going to choose ourselves. We're going to choose our own conceits. We're going to choose our own power, our own kingdom. And we're not even going to rule on this one, Jesus. But listen, you cannot stand idly about and not make a decision about truth. When you make no decision, you've really made a decision to reject God. And when they said, we don't know who he was, John the Baptist was. We don't know whether he was from heaven or from man. They made a decision to reject because you and I cannot stand around and go, I'm idle. I'm not really making a decision. I'm just my own person. It's not possible. It's not possible. It's not one of the answers on the test. You have to make a decision. And they said, we don't know. We're agnostic. We don't know without Knowledge. We don't know. That's what agnostic means. That's not a true mindset, especially not for somebody who says they're following God. And he says, neither will I tell you by what power, by what authority I do the things that I do. Now, see, listen, here is the whole crux of it. And you're going to get it as we get into chapter 12 a little bit better, is that he's given them clear scripture. He's given them clear proof of who he is. And if you can't believe the scripture, then believe the works that he's doing. Believe the way he's living. And, and, and all they want is what? They want their own selfishness, their own power, their own kingdom. They don't want to lose their place. And the whole thing about the gospel is lose your place the gospel calls us to lose ourselves to lay ourselves down to give up our earthly power and to surrender to god and they were so far train wreck that they missed jesus and i would submit to you here today that the church can be so far train wrecked that they would miss jesus and think they're okay So, chapter 12, then he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a place in the wine vat, and built a tower. And he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. Now, at vintage time, he sent a servant to the vine dressers that he might receive some of the fruit of the vineyard from the vine dressers. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty handed. Again, he sent them another servant, and at and at him they threw stones, wounded him in the head, sent him away shamefully treated. And again he sent another, and they killed him and many others, beating some, killing some. Therefore, still having one son, his beloved, he also sent him to them last, saying, They will respect my son. But those fine dressers said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. Therefore, what will the owner of that vineyard do? He will come and destroy the vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. Have you not even read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they sought to lay hands on him. But feared the multitude, for they knew he had spoken the parable against them. So they left him and went away. Then they sent to him some of the Pharisees and Herodians to catch him in his words. When they had come, they said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and care about no one, for you do not regard the person of men, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Shall we pay or shall we not pay? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, Why do you test me? Bring me a denarius that I may see it. 
So they brought it. And he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus answered and said to them, Render to Caesar's the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Let's pray. Father, that we would not forget you, that we would not make up a form of godliness that denies the power thereof, that we would not be caught in this wind, this wind of doctrine that tosses us to and fro, but that we would hear your voice and hear your truth and be those that would obey, that would surrender, that would abide in the vine and bear fruit some 30, some 60, and some 100. Lord, we want to bear fruit, fruit of righteousness, fruit worthy of repentance, fruit that looks like you, fruit in your vineyard, in your garden, in your kingdom, for your glory. And we pray that our fruit would remain. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So again... Mark 12, 1, he began to speak to them in parables. And, and if you remember, a parable has got a couple, twofold. One, he speaks to those who have ears to hear him, wants to know this parable, and they can come away and ask him, what did that mean? And a parable is really a fictitious, fictitious narrative. It's a parallelism, if you will. It's something that's laid alongside a spiritual truth to help you understand that moral spiritual truth. And so he did this for two reasons. One, so that his disciples would understand and know. And if they didn't, they would ask later. And that's for you and I. We should ask if we don't get it. Two, so that those who didn't care and didn't want to hear it, their hearts didn't get hard from just plain truth. See, because there's a tendency if you reject it to harden your heart towards truth. So, in fact, a parable was God's grace. It was God's grace to those who were not ready to receive truth. And so he gives them this clear parable. Now you've seen already because I read that at the end of it, they know that he was talking about them. So we're given that commentary now, and we understand what he's saying in some sense. If you go looking everywhere in the Old Testament, you will find that Israel is the vineyard. They're always called a vineyard. Now, last week we talked about them being the fig tree, a type of the fig tree, but talking about fruit. It was a representation of them not bearing fruit of godliness. So he starts to speak to them in these parables, and he says to them, A man, God, created the heavens and the earth, ends in the beginning, and then he took Abram out of Ur of Chaldean. A man planted a vineyard. Now, a vineyard is uh, a, a, a uh, it comes from the word vine, a coil of vines, right? So it's a yard that has a bunch of vines in it. And we call it vineyard. We pronounce it a little bit instead of calling it a vineyard. It's a vineyard. He plants this vineyard, a grape vineyard, which is referring to the nation of Israel. As I just stated, with biblical consistency, that vineyard is always supposed to be Israel till we get to John 15, 5. They were always supposed to be a witness. They were always supposed to be given evidence, testimony, pointing to Jesus. He put a hedge around it and dug, for, and dug a place for the wine so that there's a place to put the uh, fruit and build a tower so you can observe from it now a hedge is a fence or a closing or a, or, 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 or a barrier and, and we know that it means you know we say to I'm praying a hedge of protection around you it's a wall of protection so God gave them a wall really he gave them everything they needed to bear fruit and to be witnesses and and to demonstrate that they serve God he gave them perfect protection, perfect provision in His sovereignty. 
Go back and read the Old Testament. How many times they didn't even have to fight and God would destroy the enemies. God was always there taking care of them and protecting them from the weeds, from the things that would hurt them, the things that would kill them, the things that would drown them out and keep them from bearing fruit. So he put a hedge around them. And he leased it. Now, I don't even like that word leased. Because in the King James, it says, let it out. And it means to give forth. See, they didn't pay for it. It was a free gift. They didn't do anything to earn it, anything to deserve it. But he called them out and made him his own special people, his firstborn. And he gave it to him freely. The same way you and I receive Christ is freely. There's no lease involved. Now, there is a covenant, an agreement of the hearts where we agree, but he leased it out, and it means uh, uh, he gave them stewardship of it. Here it is, this land, I'm giving it to you. It's a vineyard, take care of it. He leased it, let it out to the vine dressers, which in the King James is husbandmen. Listen, it's husbandmen. And went into a far country. Which is heaven, right? That's the far country that's referred to here as a parable. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what God would say to the church. The far country is God. He, he planted this vineyard. He created this nation. He gave it everything it needed to have to bear fruit. And then he went away to heaven waiting for it to bear fruit. The husbandman, listen, a husbandman is a landowner, a farmer. Listen, I, I really like this. It's from the base. It comes from the base of ergon, which is the word that we have ergonomics. It's the word that we have for work, a laborer. So the expectation of that farmer is to be a hardworking farmer. There's supposed to be fruit. You're supposed to be working the land and growing the land and following the natural rules of sowing and reaping. Planting sowing and reaping so what did god do he planted a vineyard he planted a nation think about this for a minute all he did was followed his own natural rules he planted and then he did everything possible to help it grow the same way you do when you plant a garden you know if you plant a garden and then you just walk off and you leave it what do you expect when you come back briars and thistles and weeds and, and no real fruit but it's all rotten and full of bugs but when you go out there and you work it and you till it and you cut the weeds out and you trim back you expect it to bring back some fruit so you can have some food you can have something to eat you can take part in it because you're the hard-working farmer that took care of it I never told you that the word planted, he planted a vineyard. It means to set out in the earth, to implant. Figuratively, it means to instill doctrine. It comes from a word that means to germinate or grow or to produce. See, God knew what he was doing. And everything that he made provision for, he was helping the nation of Israel to grow and to germinate. It's the same thing with Christ. Everything that He's doing for us as we get into the Word, Prayer, and Fellowship and we draw near to God, He's trying to help us grow fruit. You know, I, I put a note here, and I, I'm sorry. He sent out into all the earth, and I put a note there that said, the same way that Obama sent 100,000 Muslims, Somalians, to Minnesota. I'm sorry, that's what he was trying to do. He was trying to plant Muslims in Minnesota to destroy America because he was working for the devil. But God was trying to create a nation that would bear good fruit, not bad fruit, not fruit of death. So whatever you plant, expect it to grow because it's a natural law. So if you plant something that's bad, it's going to grow. And if you sow to the wind, you'll reap the whirlwind. Don't be surprised when you reap judgment. If all you're planting, all you're trying to grow is your own selfish desires, your own selfish conceits, your own ideas, and you have not really been purchased by the blood of Jesus, and you're trying to do what He's called you to do, and that is grow fruit. 
that lasts forever. See what happened to the nation of Israel. I'm going to get over here in a minute. Stay with me. We need to see this. God went away to heaven. Verse 2. Now at vintage time. In its season. He sent a servant. Notice God sending servants. That's what he's doing with you and I. We're supposed to be douloses. Voluntary servants. Going out for God. To the husbandmen, the vine dressers, that he might receive some of the fruit of the vineyard from the vine dressers. Notice it was some. He just wants some fruit. He just wants to see fruit in our lives. Now, fruit, I missed this last week, meant to give it to you, said, oh. It'll be better next week anyway. Fruit is this. Fruit means as if to pluck. I know. That's just what these words mean. And the language is different. But it comes over in the Strong's as if to pluck. In other words, it's ripe. You pluck it. It's fruit that is good. But it comes from the word harpazo. If you're a Berean, you know that harpazo is the Greek word that comes from the Latin Vulgate that means rapture. The Latin Vulgate is rapturo, I think. Something of that nature. I usually pronounce things wrong. But it comes from to pluck, to be caught away, to be to catch up, to pluck out of the world. Listen to me clearly, because the time is soon coming for the rapture of the church. And those who have fruit, God will pluck out at harvest time. It says He's going to take His harvest and put it in His barn and separate it from the children of the devil, the sons of disobedience. So he will pluck us out. He expects us to bear fruit. And there's no way to bear fruit unless first his seed is planted in your heart, which is the Holy Spirit. When you believe in Jesus, he puts his seed in your heart, the Holy Spirit, to grow fruit of him, which is love. And it looks like joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And joy means this. Listen, the first fruit of Jesus is going to be joy. The acrostic. Jesus, others, and then yourself. Your own conceits, your own self, your own desires instantly with the first fruit of the Holy Spirit, gone. You begin to put Jesus and His plan first if you're born again. That's the first fruit. Then you take care of others because now you're a servant in His vineyard, in His kingdom. And then you worry about self. That's called dead to self. That's called being crucified with Christ because now you're planted in a way that you can grow and go and bear fruit for God. Because that's what we're called to do. We are not called to stay dead. We're not called to stay in the grave. We're not called... To just say a prayer and say, I'm in, I got fire insurance. Let's finish the parable and then we'll go over to John 15 and we'll look at this. It's, it, they came, he came because he expected to have fruit in the vineyard and that they would give the glory to him. They'd give it back to him because he owns it and he gave it to them. He let them steward it. So it obviously belongs to them. It's almost like now today, you see, I go see a lot of people and I'm talking to them. They go, yeah, we own like a thousand acres. Oh, no, we don't farm it anymore. We lease it out. We make more money just letting somebody else do the work. That's the way a lot of farmers do nowadays. Some of them are still hardworking farmers. You get a little older. Verse 3, what did they do when he sent servants to them? And we're going to start hearing about what they did with the prophets. I can't isolate any of these. I can't tell you about any of these. But every time a witness goes out, this is something that naturally happens. So when the church thinks that they're going to avoid suffering and pain and maybe even death and be a witness for Christ, it's a false gospel. Because when God's people go to the world, it's just like this right here. When God sends His people and they really go in His name for His glory, doing His work... This is what happens. They took him and beat him, flogged him, scourged him, sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent them another servant. So he's patient. Look at this. He's patient. He continues to send servants and messengers, prophets, 
And at him they threw stones, wounded him in the head, and sent him away shamefully treated. Sounds like it was a specific person. I don't know. Ezekiel, you know, Micaiah. There was a a lot of them. Jeremiah, a lot of them that were shamefully treated. Isaiah. And again, he sent another. See, you'd think he'd give up. I ain't sending nobody else. I'm sending the police. I'm sending somebody to take care of this mess. But God's a patient God. He's long-suffering. He's not willing that any would perish, but all would come to the saving knowledge, that all would bear fruit. He wants us to turn and begin to do it His way and cultivate the land. And that land for you and I, guys, is our hearts. It's the soil of our hearts. Remember the parable of the sower of the seed? And at the end of it, the good seed, the seed is always good, it's the Word of God, that fell on a good heart, some bore 30, some 60, some 100 fold. That's the fruit. To bear no fruit is to be unsaved. Verse 5, And again he sent another, and him they killed. Many others, beating some, killing some. Therefore, because of all of this, verse 6, remember Sodom and Gomorrah, how God came down? God came down to see if the report was true. Therefore, still having one son, I took my ink pen and made that capital. If you don't make it capital, you don't have to, but it's actually speaking of his son. It's actually speaking of Jesus, his child, his well-beloved. Mine says beloved, but in the King James, it's well-beloved. It comes from the word agape. It comes from the word agape, which is God's love, it's unconditional love. His well-beloved. He had one son, his only begotten. He also sent him to them last. See that word last? It means final of place and time. Last, at the end. In the fullness of time is what Galatians tells us. He sent his son. It's the last. There's no other, there's no other Messiah coming. There's no other son coming. Saying, they will respect my son. They will reverence, is what it is in the King James. They will regard him. But those vine dressers, those husbandmen who are supposed to be taking care of my property... God says, said among themselves. They see it there? It's their own desires, their own conceits, their own ways. They didn't counsel with God. They said it among themselves. This is what they said. Listen to me. This is very important. If you're not reading the Word of God, if you're not getting the counsel of God, and you're making all your ideas up on your own, and you're listening to the world or somebody else who's ignoring the Word of God, you're doing it among yourselves. You're not listening to God. This is the heir. This is his son. It's his only son. So there's nobody else to inherit if we kill him. Come, let us kill him. And the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. Listen to me. You know what they did? They cast him out. They took him. And what did Jesus do? He died outside the city. They cast him out. He crucified outside the city. They cast him out of, the, out of Israel, out of the, the vineyard, out of Jerusalem. Really, because Jerusalem is a walled city. That's the protection. That's the place they went. The hedge. And he gives them this parable. And then he says to them, Therefore, what will the owner, what will God do to Israel, the vineyard, He will come, and he answers it for him because it's rhetorical. He will come and destroy the vine dressers, the husbandmen, and give the vineyard to others. Of course, now speaking of, not just just the times when he warned them with the Babylonian captivity. He warned them with the Assyrian captivity. He warned them even now with the Roman captivity. But in A.D. 70, the whole city is going to be burned down. And what's he doing now? He's giving it to another. He's giving it to the church. We have the church age. He gives it to another. And then he says to them, listen to me. 
This is, this is actually like a punch in the belly to the Pharisees and the ruling authorities. It might be a punch in the belly to the church today. Oh, he's speaking like that. I know the scriptures. Have you not even read? Think about it. People that proclaim that they know the scriptures, they're living for God. They're waiting on God. We're telling people how to live and what to do. And we know God. We're the nation that God's coming from, the Messiah. And they're so proud, so arrogant, so rebellious that He stands before them presents it to them. They know he's talking about them. And then he says, have you not even read? And he defines. But notice where he always points them to. Listen, we should always point back. If somebody's teaching you Scripture and they're not pointing back to Scripture, which confirms and is the best commentary of Scripture, then they might be making up their own selves their own way and leading you someplace that you shouldn't be going. The Scriptures clearly tell us how to live for God. They clearly tell us how to clean up our hearts and bear fruits worthy of repentance. And listen, if all we do is abide and continue and remain, just stand like any fruit tree does, God's already provided perfect provision for that fruit to grow by the power of the Holy Spirit. The water, He waters it, He tends it, He cuts it, He treats it. He's, it's automatically a perfect law of reaping and sowing from a perfect God. Have you not read the Scripture? How many times has Jesus said to this to them when there's a roadmap that he is the Messiah? There's a roadmap for this nation, these ruling authorities, these people who declare that they, they serve a sovereign God and that they're part of his kingdom. And yet they would kill the Messiah. Have you not even read the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Really, how did that happen? This was the Lord's doing. It was His work. And it's marvelous in our eyes. Marvelous. Wonderful. To be admired. Think about it. The greatest story ever told. The gospel, it's marvelous. The stone which the builders rejected. Who's the builders? The religious authority are supposed to be working in the vineyard, building God's kingdom, and they reject the cornerstone. They reject the stone that they needed. See, if you're going to build a house or something, a structure, a temple, in that day, they didn't have the tools we have now, so what they would do was find the perfect stone. To be the cornerstone. And if that plumb line was straight, they would look at it, they'd reject them, and they'd reject them. they go, this one works. It's perfect. And if we build everything else off of it, it will make a perfect building. And then here comes Jesus, God himself as his son, and he's the perfect stone. And the builders, the nation of Israel, reject it. It means disapprove, disavow. What are you saying? What are they doing right now? It's a week of questioning. It's the time when you would actually choose a lamb during the Passover festival and you would inspect it because you know that at the 14th and the Son, you've got to kill it to remember the Passover. And as you inspect it, you go, oh no, this one's got some blemishes. We better get us another one. They're questioning him. They're asking him. And they are going to decide that their plans are better. Their desires are better. Their ways are better. They know the scriptures better. That they're going to build a house on their own. And reject this chief cornerstone. And it's marvelous that God didn't just make him the chief cornerstone, but he made him the capstone. He's the author and the finisher. He's the beginning and the end. He's our all in all. And yet they reject him. And the church has done it again. Oh, I'll just live it my way. I'll just do my own understanding. And that one pastor said, if I just say a prayer, I'll be okay. And that other pastor said, I don't have to read my Bible. I don't even have to go to church. I don't have to do anything. I've already, I'm in. I'll just do it my way instead of God's ways. I'm here to tell you that the Bible says you need to bear fruit. You need to bear fruit in your heart. And all you have to do to bear fruit 
is build a relationship with God by surrendering, submitting. Submit, therefore, to God and resist the devil and he'll flee. Now let's look. Let's look at where does this come from, that text there. Oh, there's a little note in your Bible, and it says, oh, it's Psalms 118. Let's go look at Psalms 118. Because any time Scripture is quoted, they didn't have numbers in the Bible back in uh, uh, their times. All they had was in their heart the Word of God written, and they would go, oh, that's that one text. We know that really well, because what just happened? This is the Hosanna Psalm. Listen to me. Psalms 118 this comes before. Look, 118.22, I could go through the whole thing. I, I, I don't want to be tedious. You can go read it and do a little study in yourself. The stone which the builders... Look at verse 21 first. I will praise you for you have answered me and have become my salvation, my deliverer who is coming. 22, the stone which the ruling authorities, the builders rejected disapproved of has become the chief cornerstone this was the lord's doing it was determined purpose of his foreknowledge that he did it acts tells us it is marvelous it's wonderful it's to be admired in our eyes 24 this is the day the lord has made we will rejoice and be glad in it in other words all this had to happen for salvation to come to us the gentiles and we can rejoice and be glad that the nation of israel rejected him but we don't want to follow their pattern and be deceived by the devil also. Now, go on now. Go on. Verse 25. Save now. Hosanna. I pray, O Lord. Save now, O Lord. I pray. Send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord. He has given us light. What happens? Bind the sacrifice with the cords to the horn of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. That's the triumphal entry. That's the tent of Nisan, the day before all of this is going down. When Jesus come in, the people knew He was the Lamb of God at that moment. By the end of the week, they won't know. They'll forget, because He doesn't do what they want Him to do. They're going to be crying, Hosanna, Hosanna. They laid their coats. They got the donkey. They're saying, save now. You're the Lamb of God on the tent in the sun. That's why it's important that we understand that this was quoted at that time when these same people listened. And some of them said, tell your disciples to be quiet. Do you hear what they're saying? They're calling you the Messiah. So they knew what was being said when they were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now, deliver now, you've become our salvation. And he says, I tell you the truth, if they remain silent, the rocks will cry out. And they're like, trying to take all these people from us, and we got our power, we know what we're doing, we're the rule and authorities. And they walk away mad, just like they're going to do again here in this text. Instead of hearing truth and going, Lord God, that is true. I need to bear fruit. I want to surrender to you. I want to submit to you. I want to resist the devil. Instead of having a heart that says, Lord, turn up the fallow ground and plant your seed in me and send me to the nations, we get mad and say, that pastor is a Jesus freak. That is not what the Bible means. That's not what we teach in our church. We're doing it all over again. See, because as a teacher, you get rejected if you don't teach what other churches are teaching. You have to follow the commentaries. You have to follow the tradition of the elders. You have to teach what's in their commentaries. If you teach anything else, they're like, he didn't go to our school. Not one of us. See with us? It's one of my favorite Andy Griffith shows. Mr. Darling, Barney keeps talking. He says, he one of us. Anyway, sorry. Sidebar. Let's get back to the vineyard. But they're rejecting him. Oh, listen, people, we're supposed to bear fruit. I'm going to read quickly with you. I know this gets tedious. I wanted to go on past it. It's Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5. I'm just going to read quickly 
It's all over the Old Testament. We're supposed to bear fruit. Just do a little Bible sword drills with me. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now let me sing to my well-beloved. Remember? He sent His only Son, His well-beloved. A song of my beloved regarding His vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. In other words, it's perfectly set to be fruitful. It's not the ground's fault or the planter. He dug it up. He cleared out its stones, other stones, other plumb lines, other things that were lies, other doctrine that's bad, and planted a choice vine. These are heirloom seeds, people. Uh Uh-huh. There's an inheritance. You become an heir if you receive the seed of Jesus and planted a choice vine. He built a tower in its midst and also made a wine press in it. Then he waits and watches and he's looking for fruit. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes, rebellious toward him. This is what the church is doing today. We're rebellious toward God and his word, toward anybody who would speak truth. He's judging me, man. No, this is called holiness. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, teaching peace and men of praise, judge, make a decision, please, between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild, disobedient grapes? And now, please, let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard i will take away its hedge you remove the wall remove the provision and it shall be burned ad 1970 it was or excuse me ad 70 that was real real weird i just brought that in but it was burned down and break down its wall and it shall be trampled down trampled underfoot during the age of the gentiles i will lay it waste it shall not be pruned or dug But there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. He looked for justice, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, but behold, a cry for help. Listen, there's no other righteousness coming. Receive the righteousness of God that's because of the blood of Jesus. And don't keep crying for help from someplace else. My help comes from the Lord. That's where we want to turn in and come boldly to His stone of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There's no more coming. We cannot be like the nation of Israel and say, We believe a Messiah is coming. We've received the Messiah. And then reject every principle of the law of Sowing and reaping. Then reject what God has done for us. If positionally we are saved because of the Spirit, then we receive the seed of the Spirit. And then quite naturally, that Spirit takes everything that is Jesus's and wants to give it to you. And so He wants to create in you love. And it looks like joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So that you will have fruit in its season. It's Psalms chapter 1. You've been there with me, but I can't help but go there. Psalms chapter 1. i got to take you all over the place in order to bring this about clearly. Blessed is the man. You want to be a blessed man? You want to be a blessed woman who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, who stands not in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But where is his delight at? The blessed man's delight is in the law of the Lord, the word of God. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, so that fruit comes and it remains, and whatever he does shall prosper. There's only two type of people. Those who delight in the Lord and those who walk with sinners and the ungodly. Those who bear fruit and those who do not bear fruit. 
And the only fruit that matters is the fruit of the Spirit. And if you're bearing the fruit of the Spirit, listen, if you're bearing the fruit of the Spirit, you'll go out and witness and bear fruit of souls. Just by your very, just by walking around and abiding, you'll have fruit just hanging on you like any tree. And people will want to know what's that fruit and, and what's it taste like. And then they can taste and see that the Lord is good because you're a fruit bearer. I was going to, I mean, I'll just read it to you. It's Second Chronicles uh, uh, 36 15 and the lord god of the fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers rising up early and sending them because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place but they mocked the messengers of god despised the words scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of god arose against the people till there was no remedy and it's interesting that Persia was one of the first people to come down, which is modern-day Iran, which is one of the first people that we're held, we hold in responsibility for a lot of things that are going on. The devil is using. Okay. It says in verse 12, Mark 12, 12, And they sought to lay hands on him, but feared the multitude, for they knew he had spoken the parable against them. So they left him and went away. They heard it, and they responded wrong. Everything that God does in your life is, is to bear fruit. It's to continue to dig around you and dig in your heart and get you to bear fruit and receive truth and turn, repent, come back. Grow fruit by the power of the Spirit. Everything that He's doing. And every time they hear truth, listen to me. Because they think they're smart. They think they're wise. They think they already know what they're doing. Every time God speaks to them clearly and they receive the truth, they get mad in their heart. Instead of receiving it and saying, that's me. Instead of repenting and saying, Lord God, help me bear fruit. Look at John 15, 5. Or excuse me, John 15, 1. Wasn't going to go there. I'm going back there. Got to. Can't help it. We'll try to close this up here. You know, of course, you know this. John 15. Everybody's like, stay away from there. Some people try to call it just, just your works. I'm just going to read it. I'm going to be very careful. I'm just trying to get to 15, 16. That's the only one I want you to see today. But I will camp out in verse 1. Jesus comes along, and what does he say? See, the nation of Israel, God's vineyard, was supposed to be the vine. They were supposed to be the true witnesses. They were supposed to be living out loud so all the people would see that there's a living and true God who cares and loves you. And they walked away, and they rejected the stone, the cornerstone. And Jesus says, I am, ego me." The great I am that I am. I'm everything that you need to be. The true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. He's the one that tends. Now it's very important for you to know that there's vineyards everywhere. And in fact, as Jesus is going through, he's came out of the upper room. He's going through lower Jerusalem where all these vineyards are at. He's going to go out of the city through the gate. He's going to go across the brook Kedron and go into the Garden of Gethsemane where he's going to be betrayed and beaten and mocked and spit on. It's the last night of his life. And he's going right by these vines and he goes, I am the true, the genuine vine. And my father is the vine dresser, the husbandman. The one who will take care of the vine. Every branch in me, if you're born again, you're a branch in him that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Listen, bearing fruit is not a, an option. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. When you start bearing fruit, then he's going to cut away sucker branches. Because he wants you to bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. When you hear his voice, the Holy Spirit comes in. You become clean. Abide in me. Stand. Histamai. 
in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears. Notice bears. You're not growing. You're not planting. You're not doing anything but just witnessing fruit. You stand there. You just It just grows on you. You just bear it. It's like you bear one another's burdens. You're just carrying the fruit. It's not you. It's Jesus. Much fruit, not just some fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Somebody get a calculator. How much is nothing? If anyone does not abide in me, listen, pay attention to this. If you're not abiding, continuing, remaining, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Hmm, I think that's just my works. I don't think that's really the person who was part of the vine. See, I'm mumbling, I'm being facetious. It's very clear with the context of what is going on. We know what fire is. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire. See, because your desires are no longer selfish. They're desires as you abide that line up with fruit bearing, line up with soul winning, and it shall be done for you. But by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. See all the obedience that's in there? And this is not for salvation, but it's because of salvation. It's the focus of a life. No longer do I call you friends, for all things I heard from my Father I have made known to you. So he's revealing everything to us from the vine dresser. You did not choose me. This is where I want you to get right here. You did not choose me, but I chose you and ordained you, appointed you, that you should go to all nations and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain Continue, abide, and remain. And whatever you ask the Father, in my name, in my authority, according to my character, nature, and will, He may give to you. These things I commanded you that you love one another. Listen, fruit is not an option in the kingdom of God. So many people get saved, and as long as they keep coming to church and putting money in the tithe box, they keep coming to church, they think they're okay. But you know what's happening? We're letting all the weeds grow in our garden. All the weeds and thorns and thistles are growing in the garden, in our heart, because we're being indoctrinated by the world, because we're not abiding, continuing, remaining in the Word. If you abide in my Word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free, Jesus said in John 8, 31 and 32, because that's what continues to weed and prune out all the things that are not according to God's kingdom. He continues to turn the ground and prune the, the vineyard and to remove all the things that are not associated with what he's called you to do. He takes out the bad things and he brings in more of his fruit, more of his spirit, and you continue to grow. Why is that important? It's very important when you go back to Mark chapter 12, where we're at, and you move on to the next verse, verse 13. Then they sent to him some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to catch him in his words. Listen. If you can catch God in his words, you are a bad dude. You would be God. You cannot catch God in his words. This means to hunt or to entrap in his words. When they had come, they said to him, Teacher, 
it might be important to tell you that the Pharisees and Herodians were never together. But the enemy of my enemy has become, they joined to become friends to attack a common enemy. The Herodians wanted to put Herod back on the throne. The Pharisees were, were, not, were not that. They were scriptures. They knew the scriptures. They, wanted to, they said they were following the scriptures. When they had come, they said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true, flattery or a lie, and care about no one, misrepresentation. He cares about everyone. That's why he's going to die. For you do not regard the person of men, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Shall we pay or shall we not pay? Now listen, what they're trying to do is entrap him and find a way to have him arrested. But if he speaks evil of Caesar, it's all a plot. It's a plan. It's like the, the, the Russian hoax. If I might borrow something, it's a plot and a plan to stay in power, to get power so that the people aren't drawn away toward. That's why I say most of the time that, that we don't know the end of a matter. So Trump could be the Antichrist. I don't care if anybody knows that I say it. I can be wrong. I'm not a prophet. I work for a nonprofit organization. I'm just saying, don't put your trust in man. Put your trust in God. And as long as man is doing what he's supposed to be doing and you can continue to serve God, that's a good thing. But when we see all that, I see a lot of parallels in our president. I'm going to revote for him. And you know what a guy says to me? Why would you support the Antichrist if you think he might be the Antichrist? I don't know he's the Antichrist. But right now he's making a bunch of things and doing executive orders and he's the most pro-life and he's the most uh, 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 um, religious um, president we've ever had. Restoring religious liberties. Listen to me. They're trying to catch him. They're trying to trick him. They're trying to have him arrested, make him speak evil against uh, the, the Caesar. And so they say, is it lawful? Is it right? To pay tribute to Caesar. That's the word really in the King James. It means actually to enroll in the census. It means enrollment is what the word means. And because anytime you enrolled, then you automatically had to pay the head tax for your person. And that's why they had everybody enrolled at the birth of Jesus. Everybody had to pay taxes. It was all about the money. And so they ask him, is it lawful to pay the taxes, pay the tribute? Should we pay or should we not pay? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, hypocrisy is they're acting under a feigned part, their deceit, remember? Their deceit, their conceit, they're dealing with themselves. They think they got a plan to catch him in his words. He knew their hypocrisy. God doesn't need anybody to testify of man's heart. He knows your heart. He knows what's going on in your heart right now. He knows what you need to have dug out and dug up so that you can bear fruit. So we don't have to play a part. We don't have to pretend. We need to come and get right before God. He says, why do you tempt me? Why do you test me? Why are you questioning and trying me and scrutinizing me and examining me? Listen, because that's what they're doing. Just like you would the Passover lamb before the festival. So he says, bring me a Daenerys that I may see it. Now, Daenerys is really a full day's wage, so that's a pretty good coin. So they brought it. This is the only time they obey him, if you guys want to pay attention to this. The only time they obeyed him is when they brought a Daenerys to him because they thought they were going to trick him. And a lot of people tithe because of that. They think they're going to trick God. They'll give a tithe. They'll bring a Daenerys to God like, I'm going to trick him and make him think I'm giving to the kingdom. When really they're doing it for their own little religious works. God's not broke. 
When you tithe, you're giving away part of your heart, showing that I'm not dependent upon this world, that my trust is not in this money. My trust is not in this Daenerys. My trust is not in these things. My trust is in you, God. He's given you a chance to be obedient, but it proves your heart and bears fruit in your heart. God doesn't want nobody's money. Why would He want your money? He has everything. He's not broke. It's a way of you releasing your heart from the things of this world, the possessions. He wants to possess you. He wants to use you. He bought you and paid for you. He redeemed you. That pastor must be broke. He pulled tithing into that text. No, I pulled your heart into that text. Because that's what it's all about. Is our heart. The only time they obeyed God was when they brought him a denarius so they could trick him. And you can't trick God. He knows your heart. He said to them, whose image, whose icon is on here? Whose uh, superscription? Inscription. They said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus answered and said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. And they marveled at him. Listen, it's that simple. Give to the world the things that belong to the world. Give to the government the things that belong to government. Owe no man anything except to love them. But give to God what is God's. Don't rob from God either. Render to give away, to give back, to deliver, to yield up. Listen. Are you bearing fruit worthy of repentance? Listen to me. Because the inscription, the image on you, if you're bearing fruit, should be Christ. Christ came from the Father, planted Himself in the ground and died and rose again so that you and I could receive that seed and go and multiply and just follow the natural uh, 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 of planting and reaping, sowing and reaping. It's a natural thing that works perfectly natural every day people are planting stuff. But whose image is upon you? When people look at you, when they see you, is Caesar's image upon you because of the schools of higher learning? Because of the indoctrination that goes on all across the planet where they teach you all these things and you begin to grow up in your own esteem and your own selfishness and you think you're smarter than God? And the image of Caesar becomes upon you the image of the world rulers? Or is the image of God upon you because you're bearing fruit of love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Listen to me. I'm not against schools of higher learning. I'm against people who would put them first and not take the Word of God to examine what they're teaching you and allow them to steal your heart, deceive you, and let you become apostate just like the nation of Israel did. And then bear no fruit. You would ignore and crucify Christ when you've seen the truth. You would reject the truth because of your indoctrination of Caesar. Because of the money. Because of the pride of the world. Because of the American dream is the superinscription that's on your heart instead of the fruit of the Spirit and the work of God who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. So, whose image is upon you? Father, thank You for Your Word. Bless our time together today. Lord, help us to receive that Word deep into our heart. Turn over the fallow ground. Help it to produce fruit of righteousness. Some 30, some 60, and some 100. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. 
If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear?